Let's pray as we prepare to get into God's Word. Father, we thank you for the time we've had to worship you and to honor you. We thank you for this time of opportunity to give to you. And now, Father, together we open your precious Word, the gift that you've given to your church. Father, that we may learn who you are. You may, we may learn what you've done for us. We may learn who you've made us to be. And we may learn why we're here. And Father, we come and ask you by the precious Holy Spirit that he would work in our hearts because your word says, their eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it entered into the hearts of men. All that God has prepared for those who love him, but your spirit's been given to us to reveal those things. And yes, he even searches the depths of your heart to bring up the deep things of your heart that you have prepared for your people to reveal them to us. And so we rely upon the Holy Spirit today to do just that. And I surrender my heart and I surrender my mouth to you as best I know how, that he would use me in any way he chooses to speak forth this word under the anointing and unction of your spirit. And for that, we thank you in advance. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. We're going to begin a new series. Uh, last year, so much of the time we spent talking about why we're here. And if I talk very long about it, I'll slip right back into it. And everything has to go back ultimately to what, what are we, are, is what we're doing carrying out that purpose. And so what we're going to begin to talk about today really is a part of that. It's the first Sunday of 2016. And uh, I, I love January because it's the first, it's the beginning of the year. I mean, my body was the same on January 1st at, one, at 12.01 as it was at Jan, uh, December 31st at uh, uh, 11.59. And standing right here, when that clock flipped over, I was the same. My wife was the same. I was the same. But when we go into a new year, it kind of, it's a time of beginning. It's a time to go back and kind of, you know, the, the typical thing that the world does is they make resolutions. Um, of course, they don't carry them out, and most of those are made out of guilt because they're aware there's something wrong in my life. I need to get straight. But why do we do that? Why do they do that? Because it's a new beginning. It's a chance to start over and kind of, all right, I made a bunch of mistakes last year. I may have eaten too much. I may have done this too much, but it's a chance to start over. But they try to do it in their own strength. We're going to have to learn how to do this in God's strength according to God's plan. To, begin, to, to get into that, um, I want to tell you just a little story on myself and uh, I'm not sure all the details are right, but I'm going to use it to, to fit in the example we need here. A number of years ago, we needed a new grill, cook, barbecue grill to cook outside. So my wife and I went to one of the stores, and we looked at this grill, and we picked out the one we want, paid them the money, and then I drove around to whatever the delivery store for them to put the grill in the back of our car, and they didn't give me a grill, they gave me a box. Now, I wasn't surprised, but they gave me a box, you know, about this size. They took that grill... And they broke it down into a box about this size, and I brought it in, and I opened it up. Now, I'm male. Oh, I am male. And, and so I think like a male, which means I'm going to figure this out myself. So I took the parts out, and not only am I male, I'm somewhat mechanical. I'm mechanical enough that I can do some things, but I'm dangerous with some other things. And my wife's going, mm hmm but I, I love to put things together. I love to figure things out. That's what I'm a teacher. So I break things down in the Word of God and, and then put them back together, together with you. But I laid all the parts out and I think, I know how to do this. So I put the directions aside and I began to launch into this and I began to get my screwdriver out and my wrench out and I began to put this thing together and then somewhere along the line I realized something's wrong here. This doesn't look like the one we saw in the, in, the, in the store, and I don't know what that piece belongs to, but it doesn't seem to fit in here. So I, in years of experience, I've, and I don't do this anymore because I think I've learned my lesson, I decided, you know what, this isn't working. Maybe, just maybe, I need to go back and pull out the instructions for assembling this. Just possibly that whoever this manufacturer was who designed this and made these parts, maybe they know more about putting this together than I do. But here's the problem. I suspect most of you ladies, and there's some ladies that are mechanical and some men that are very non-mechanical. So this is a generality, I understand. But I suspect that most of you ladies or anyone that knows they're not mechanical would look at this and wouldn't even try it. They would immediately go to the instructions. But you see, when you, when you think you know... Oh, this is good. When you think you know something, 
And then you look at it and you're convinced you can do it. Then you don't care what the instructions say. I want to prove what I can do. Well, I did. I made a mess of it. So I had to take some of it apart and I had to go back and I had to pull out the instructions. And then what I was tempted to do was kind of skim through the instructions to correct my mistake. And that didn't work either. So what I finally had to do, and this is what I've hopefully learned to do, is I had to humble myself enough to realize I've got to go through this one step at a time. Because what they do with these instructions, you know, there'll be something called step one. This isn't going to be that difficult. It's followed somewhere down the line by step two. And then after that comes step Oh, you're catching on. Three. And somewhere down the line, if you do all those steps in the right order, you end up with a grill put together that'll stay together. And, and they even get more specific. Because, I, you know, I put a, a, a filing cabinet together a number of years ago and it was the same thing, much simpler, but I, I just, step one was find piece marked A. And I know what piece A is, but I'm going to follow the directions Because when I follow the directions, I don't have to take it apart again and put it back together again. It will go together right the first time. Well, we're not just going to talk, obviously, about how to put a grill together. God is the manufacturer of all of creation. And God has designed an order for things. And when we follow His order, His life and His blessings flow. When we don't follow His order, we actually fight against God. So the title of this series, which is appropriate for this year, time of year, is First Things First. It's a time to go back and look at what God's order is. And some of you may not know what it is in certain areas. We're going to look at it in different areas of our life. Because to begin this year, I really sense, and for what God wants to do, is He wants us to get things in order. He wants us to get things in order. We're going to see this morning, and that's the title of today, God is a God of Order. So let's start out by looking uh, in Titus chapter 1. By the way, if you ever had to go, and we hope you didn't, but if you ever had to go into an emergency room, what you fo- find is they follow a particular order. It's called triage. They go through a list of things to check out in you, and the first thing they don't do is they, 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 you know, they, they don't check you know, whether or not you have acne. They don't check whether or not, you know, you're, you're, you're having a little trouble hearing. They check what? They check your vital signs. Vital means what's necessary to live. They check your vital functions first because the first thing they want to make sure of is that those vital, vital organs are, are operating properly. So they have an order at, by which they examine you and an order by which they'll treat you and that order is an import, in order of importance for what's necessary for your, your, for your living, for your survival and then eventually for your enjoyment of life. I just had my annual physical and I go through this, you know, they you know, sit you down, take everything off, put the Johnny on, it's of course cold in the back. And then the nurse comes in and she takes your pulse, she takes your temperature, and she takes your blood pressure, and I'm feeling fine. But her assignment is to start with the vital signs and make sure... So there's an order in which things are done, and it's an order of importance. In Titus, the Apostle Paul is writing this letter to one of his sons in the faith because he's sending them to a place called Crete, the island of Crete, and we don't have time to get into it, but it was a place where all kinds of strange things were going on. And we're going to just look at verse 5. For this reason, Paul's writing, this is why I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. And then he's going to go on down and talk about the order within the church, order within the family. So the Apostle Paul is saying, I've left you in Crete and I left you for a reason. Because I want you to set in the church in order. Now if he's leaving 
Titus there to set the church in order, that must tell us that the church was out of order. You ever go into a restroom or something and you'll see a sign or on a water fountain, out of order? That just means it's not working. But you can, things can be working and still be out of order. You can still be breathing and your heart beating, but your blood pressure is going through the sky and you've got a temperature of 102. There are signs that something is wrong. So when you go to the doctor and, you, and, they, and they, you know, they take your temperature, um, that's, it's, they don't treat the temperature. The temperature is a sign that something's wrong. And so they want to find out what's wrong, what's out of order in your body, because everything's functioning in the correct order, that you will be operating in good health. And so there's a spiritual health for a church, there's a spiritual health for a family, there's a spiritual health for a marriage, there's a spiritual health for your finances, there's a spiritual health for your own spiritual life. And Paul is saying to, Tim, to, to, to um, Titus, I've left you there because things are not in order and I've left you there to set them in order and to set in the church elders. And then he talks about what the, what the requirements are for an elder. So what we see here is God cares about the order in the church. Now there are some churches that are so orderly that God can't do what He wants to do. But there are some churches that are so led by the Spirit that there is no order there and God still can't do what He wants to do. Order is a... Let me, talk, let me give you a definition of order. This is the Oxford Dif- Dictionary's definition. It's the arrangement, arrangement, which is putting things in a particular sequence, or the disposition of people or things in relation to each other. Uh, this is what I want you to see. According to a particular sequence pattern or method. It's really simple. When you went to school, you learned an order. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. That's an order. That's an order for numbers. A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P. It's an order to the letters. God is a God of order. Let's just think about that for a minute. Just think about our universe that God created. It is so orderly that our scientists, the most accurate clocks, are measured by the pulsing of an atom. That's the smallest thing, the molecule, an atom, in the parts of an atom. But the universe is also precise and orderly. So much so that scientists could figure out ahead of time exactly at what point to launch a rocket, at what trajectory, so that five days later it would land at a precise spot on the moon. They were able to say rockets out into to Mars and wherever else they've sent it, and, and they don't just shoot it out there. They know that whatever, three years, five years from now, they know where that planet's going to be, and so they know how to get, they'll send the rocket over here, knowing that when the time comes, the planet's going to be in the right place for the rocket to go by it or land it or go around it or whatever it's supposed to do with it. It's that precise. I was thinking about this yesterday and thinking that, you know, science fights God today. It never, it didn't used to, and it doesn't have to. But how can you have science if there's no order? How can you have science? How can you talk to one another if there's no order to things? So where did this order come from? Our scientists have discovered, they didn't create, they discovered our DNA. And a DNA is nothing but a series of instructions in that first cell when it combines with the cell from your mother's egg and your father's sperm, and they combine together, and those two come together and form a new DNA. And that is a system of instructions of an orderly forming of that fetus, which is a child. It's orderly. If there was no order to the human body, what would a, doc- a doctor would have no idea how to treat you. He wouldn't know where to put the stethoscope. Because if in Ron his heart was in his hand, and Jerry his heart was in his head, he wouldn't know where to, he knows where to put the stethoscope because in every one of us that heart's in the same place. Why is it in the same place? Because 
20 years ago, 30 years ago, 60 years ago, your DNA instructed those heart cells to be formed in that particular place. Psalm 139. You ought to read through it sometime. God ordained each part of you where it was to go. And our science has just discovered that. Something that King David knew years ago. So there's an order of things. God is orderly. God is orderly. If there's no order in the universe, there'd be no basis for science. It depends on structure and laws that can be relied upon. When I was growing up, I did not do well in math, and therefore I did not like math. Those tend to go together. When I was in college, they had, you had to take a math class. And they had this course that was in the course listing called the New Math. Well, I saw that as kind of a fresh start. So I signed up for that one. And actually, I did very well in that one because I had a whole different attitude towards it. It was like a new start to it. And I don't remember really anything that was in it other than it was a new approach to math. But I remember thinking of this even back then. That's interesting. They've got a new concept of math, but I'll bet you when the teacher wants his salary calculated, he uses the old method. Because I want something that's reliable. So that if I'm paid at a certain rate and I, play, I you know, put 40 hours in, I want 40 times my rate and I want to know what that is every week or every month or whenever it comes out. Why? Because math is truth. I tried 2 plus 2 is 5. It didn't work. The teacher didn't accept it. Well, I was just being creative, you know. They didn't see it that way. They just thought it was wrong. And it was. So there's an order to the universe. There's an order to mathematics. There's an order to everything. And some of us are more orderly in our thinking than others. But you still, we learned in, in um, uh, Wednesday nights when we were talking about renewing the mind, that all of our minds think in patterns. Some of your patterns are very rational and logical, and some of them seem illogical and irrational, but there's a pattern to them. Our mind has an innate, built-in tendency to, to try to draw meaning out of things, to connect things together and form some kind of meaning or lesson out of things. Or what does this mean? This is why when some catastrophe happens, people try to figure, well, why is this happening? How come this is happening? They're trying to find meaning out of it because our mind is made to work that way because we're made in the image of God. God is a God of order. He creates things in order. Let's go to, and there's an order in heaven. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We learned in school of ministry, it's, well, it's, it's school of ministry course we did on Wednesday night in Renewing the Mind, that, that the Father is, pro, is first. Everything comes from Him. Jesus is second. Jesus said when a man came to Him and says, Good Master, He said, No, no, no. There's only one who's good, innately good, and that's my Father. Hebrews 1.3 says, He is the outshining of the Father's glory. He is the, he is the, he is the, the, the outshining, the, 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 not the reflection, the outshining of His Father's glory. So He's second. And then the Holy Spirit is third. They're all God, but there's a priority within God. Actually, Jesus in, in, in 1 Corinthians 15 says at the end, He's going to turn and hand all authority back to the Father when all of this wraps up. When he's finished what he was assigned to do, he's going to turn it all back into the Father's hands. So Jesus came to serve the Father because the Father was the one, our Father who is in heaven. But the Holy Spirit serves Jesus. He says he didn't come to speak on his own, but he, he speaks whatever he hears, which is what Jesus speaks. He comes to reflect Christ to us and make his presence in us. So in, in God himself, there's an order and a priority. And then once you get outside of God, in heaven there's a priority. There are angels, but then there are archangels. They have a higher position, a higher authority. And the earth was without form and void. I don't want to spend the time to go into this. But there's a theory, and it's just a theory because we can't prove it one way or the other, 
that there's a gap between verse 1 and verse 2. Because the word form here in Hebrew, the word form in Hebrew is bohu, not buhu, but bohu, B-O-H-U, which means an emptiness that's lacking order, a lack of order. And the word void is the word tohu, which means chaos. Chaos. So there's a theory that God created everything and then it was destroyed, and then God came in a second time to recreate everything and take this chaos and bring order out of it. Whether that's what happened or not, I don't know, and I won't know till I get to heaven, and it's probably not going to be in the top list of my questions to ask God. But what this does say is there was a time when this creation was without order, when it was chaos, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over its waters. And then starting in verse 3, God begins to bring order out of the chaos. God says, let there be light. God says, separate the light from the darkness. God says, let there be water. Separate the water from the land. God begins to create boundaries and order and separation. God begins to take this chaos and form order out of it. And then in Genesis chapter 1, the last thing God creates is man. So in the order of creation, time-wise, God creates man last. And I believe the reason, and it's just my belief, that the reason God created man last is He would creating this universe for man. Man is unique in all of this creation. Because in everything else God created, he, God just said, let there be. But when it comes to man, He says He formed him. He formed him out of the dust of the earth. That's his body. And he breathed into him out of his own lungs, whether they're lungs like ours or not. They breathed out of his own being the breath of life. And that word breath in Hebrew means literally the animal life of God. The living, what you consider life, and I consider life. Breathed it into him. I believe the image I have is God took this, this pile of dirt and held him up like this and went... And he became a living being. Man is the only being God created that it says he made him in his image. And then when he finished this creation, the last verse says, he said, he looked at all of this creation and said, it's very good. Now chapter 2 is also a story of creation, but it seems to be in a different order because he starts out with man. Chapter 2, I believe, is the story of creation in terms of order of importance. One is the order of time, two is the order of importance. But what we want to look at here this morning is there's an order to it. There's an order to it. There's an order to it. God creates things, and when He creates things, He creates them with an order and in an order. All right. Now let's go to Numbers chapter... No, don't go there. I'm going to tell you what happens in Numbers chapter 2. I don't want to... Because we could go through it all. And what's happened now is God has chosen... There's a, there's a... Creates man. Man gets into terrible trouble. It's just sin is rampant. And God decides, I've got to start over again. So to start over again, He doesn't start with creating man again. He finds a righteous man, Noah. And He chooses this man to rescue him. And to say, I want you to build an ark... And you know the story, God brought a flood that destroyed all of His creation so that God could start over again. But He started over with a man He'd already created who was living according to God's order. He was living a righteous life, which is in order to God's order. And so He starts over again with him, recreates everything, and then He comes along and God decides, here's what I want to do. And remember when I say God decides? God doesn't decide the way you and I decide. God's not moving along, observing this creation, saying, you know what, it needs something else. Kind of like a recipe, you know, you taste the recipe. Eh, it still needs something. What does it need? It needs a little oregano. It needs a little of this. No, God doesn't look at, you know, it really needs something. Because that implies God's thinking along. You know, God doesn't think. 
He knows. God doesn't discover anything. He knows everything that's ever been, ever will be, all at once now. So I use these terms, but you've got to understand, God doesn't decide something. He decided once and for all at the beginning. So he doesn't doesn't re-decide something. He doesn't re-evaluate something. And so, but God, one of the ways God decided to communicate himself to man was to form a people that he would have a special relationship with. And he doesn't choose an existing people, he forms his own. He chooses a man named Abram, and Abram with his wife Sarai, and that's why God says, you know, he chose somebody that could not produce a child themselves. And he said, I'm going to make a promise to you, and out of that child, I'm going to produce a nation. And out of that nation, nations. And so Abraham, I'm not going to throw a story, God forms a nation out of Abraham. Abraham and Sarah have Isaac, Isaac has Jacob, and Jacob has 12 sons. And out of those 12 sons are the 12 tribes of Israel, essentially. And then God forms this nation out of them. They end up, God takes care of them. He sends them down into Egypt because there's going to be a famine in the land, provides for them. Then when they overstay their need to be there, they become in bondage to the, to the Egyptian Pharaoh and they cry out to God. God already has a deliverer. Moses set, sends him in there. Moses brings them out and they come out into the wilderness. And the first several months they're wandering around, they come down to Mount Sinai after about a year and God gives them, after about six, three months, God gives them the Ten Commandments, which is his order for life. God gives them his instructions, his orders for operating. And then, uh, and then he, they, they, he takes them over to the edge of the wilderness. They refuse to serve God, and they come back, and you know the story. Now, in the meantime, on the mountain, God gives Moses instructions for what they're to do and how they're to operate. One of these instructions is to build a tent called the tabernacle. And, and, and we had a course on that in the school of ministry. It's a place where God would come down and they could worship Him in the middle of their camp. But in Numbers chapter 2, God tells them how to, how to set up their camp. He has a definite order for them. And we're not going to go through all of it, but He tells them where to pitch their tents by families and where their families are to pitch their tents. So he tells them on the east, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun are to pitch their tents. They're to put their standard out in front. They're to pitch their tents. And then on the south, it's Reuben, Simeon, and Gad. On the west, it's Ephraim, Manasseh, and Benjamin. And on the north, it's Dan, Asher, and Naphtali. In other words, he says, look, not only does he have, say, all right, I want the tent in the middle of the, of the camp. I'm going to tell you where to pitch your tents. I'm going to tell this family, you put it here. This family, you put it here. This family, you put it here. And then he said, and what's going to happen is I'm going to come down in a pillar of fire by day and a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And I'm going to dwell in and through that center room, that inner room, the Holy of Holies. And then when I begin to move, when that cloud or that fire begins to move, I want you to put the tent back together again. Oh, by the way, he told them who was to take care of the tent. He told them even within the families, because the Levites were to take care of the tent. And the Levites consisted of three different families. And he said, he told each family what their role was going to be. What, what, some were, were responsible for the utensils, some were responsible for the tent poles, some were responsible for the tent, and one was responsible for the Ark of the Covenant. So, well, that's just a suggestion. No, no, no. It wasn't just a suggestion. Ask Uzzah. He said, who's Uzzah? Well, later on, when this ark has been captured, David's king, the ark has been captured by the Philistines, David's, the Philistines, they don't, they, they didn't realize they don't want it, because they're getting boils, and they're getting all kinds of trouble, because they've taken something out of God's order that didn't belong to them, and they've taken it for themselves, and by the time they experience, and it's funny, because they, they put the ark next to their idol, and go to bed, they get up in the morning, and the idol's falling over. It, the idol's bowing to God's ark. So they set it back up again at night. Go to bed, go, wake up in the morning, it's bowing again. The next time it comes down, it breaks. They're breaking out in boils, there are all kinds of plagues breaking out, and finally it dawns on them. 
they're smarter than some Christians. It dawns on them, maybe something's wrong here. Maybe we've got something out of order. And they look and realize, we were doing fine until this ark came here. We took this ark because it represented God's power and God's presence and God's victory, but it's not doing that for us. It's causing nothing but trouble. Let's give it back to them. And just to be sure, what we're going to do is we're going to take cows that are milking. They're, they have children, they're, they're, they're feeding their children. And we're going to take their, 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 their baby cows away and we're going to set them on a path. Why? Because it would not be natural for those cows to go somewhere else apart from their babies. So God would have to hand in it. And they did that in the ark. The cows took the ark back into, the, into Israel. And now there comes a point where they're going to move it. And they're bringing the ark towards, towards Jerusalem because David wants it in Jerusalem where it belongs. And the, the oxen stumble and the ark starts to slip and there's a man walking with it who's not of one of those tribes. And out of the good intention of his heart, this ark is slipping and he reaches out to catch it to, so it won't hit the ground. Best of intentions and dies on the spot. Whoa! And David gets angry at God about this. Whoa! He didn't mean anything harmful. But what was wrong? He was not of the tribe. He was not of the family that it was assigned to touch that thing. So even though his intentions were good, see, we measure things by our intentions. Oh, well, they meant well. They're meaning well. They're good people. They're meaning well. But we're going to discover God has ordained an order to things And whether you mean well or not, you've got to do it according to His order. I thought the Bible says God doesn't look at the outside, He looks at the heart. Yeah, that was when God chose David to be king. He wasn't looking at David's intentions and excusing his behavior. He was saying, you can't judge what I'll do through somebody by their outward appearance because he was the least of all the sons of Jesse. And Samuel didn't even hardly regard him, let alone his father, and he says, no, I don't, I don't judge what I can do with somebody by their outward appearance. I look at the heart or the inside. That tells me what I can do through them. So it wasn't excusing his activities because of his intentions. It was saying, I know what I can do through him because of his heart. So this order of God's is important. Why? Because God created. God created. God created. So the... the, 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 the God goes on to say, I think it's in around chapter 9, He says, and when I move, when this cloud moves, that's time for you to pack everything up and get going. And then He told them the order in which to march. So God, as a God of order, God has an order for how He wanted them to camp, and He told them where He wanted them to live. I've always had this conviction, and you can form your own, and one of us can be right and one of us can be wrong, <laughs> and that's okay. I don't believe that we have the right to choose the church we go to. I believe God assigns us to a church. How do I know that? How do, why do I believe that? Because the Bible uses, God uses the bo- our human body as an example, as a model of the body of Christ. And my body isn't made up of cells that just decide to go where they wanted to go. If, if they did, I would be deformed. But the nerve cells were assigned to go to nerves. And the hair cells were designed to go to hairs. And the, and the muscular cells were designed, they're all cells, but they were assigned different functions in different parts. And God's the one that assigns that in the human body, but the Spirit of God is the one that assigns it. And in fact, in 1 Corinthians 12, God says He has set in the church these gifts as determined by the Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians 12, these gifts operate as determined by the Holy Spirit according to God's order. God is a God of order. So He told them the order in which to camp. He told them where they could live. Who they, he told them who their neighbors were. You know, you may get to choose your neighbors here, but you don't get to choose your neighbors in heaven. So be careful who you get mad at. Be careful. You say, I don't want to ever deal with them because you may end up spending eternity living next to them. That's just my theory. Forever is a long time. All right. And wherever they went, 
when they would go out into battle, God would instruct them the order for battle. When they got to Jericho, and, and they finally crossed, the next generation crosses into the, into, the, into the promised land, the first thing they run into is this huge walled city called Jericho. And an angel appears to, jo- to, to, to Joshua and says to him, See, I've given this city into your hands. Well, if you looked, it didn't look like the city belonged to them. It was a wall. The walls around that city were so wide, they used to run chariot races on the walls. And the angel gave them instructions for battle. What to do. And he told them to march around, with the, to march around the city once each day for six days. But he also told them the order in which to march. He said, I want your trumpeters, your praise team out front. And then I want the Ark of the Covenant, and then I want your soldiers behind them. Now, I, I, never, I, I, never, I never went to the war college. I never went to West Point or Annapolis or, or the Air Force Academy. But I would strongly suspect that's not a strategy taught there. You don't take some singers and put them out in front of the army and then put a box there and then put your soldiers after that. So God's order doesn't always line up with something that makes sense to us. But then remember, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. When I grew up and television began to be popular, there was a TV show called Father Knows Best. Well, that's still true today. Our Father, our Heaven, knows best. His order is what works. And so they went around Jericho and they put the praisers in front, they put the Ark of the Covenant next, and then they put the army. Hundreds of years later, the king of Judah, Joshua, Jehoshaphat, gets up and finds that there's an army, three armies bearing down on him to destroy them. And he goes to ask God what to do, which is a good first step. And God says, here's what you're to do. You're to go out to the battle tomorrow and you're to put your worship team out front. And they're just to sing this one chorus, for the Lord is good and His mercy endures forever, over and over, all day. And if you do that, I'll fight your battle for you. You matter the faith that took? To bring your worship team out? Put them on the brow of the hill as the armies are gathering, gathering with real arrows and real weapons, whatever they were, and their horses, and they're ready to come down on you, and you've got your singers out there saying... For oh, the Lord is good, and His mercy endures forever. For the Lord is good, and His mercy endures forever. But they followed God's order, and, and what it says is, the Lord says, the battle's not yours, but it's mine. And when the battle was over, it took them three days to pick up the spoils. And it says, not one soldier was injured. Because they followed... God's order. They followed the order that God had established to do things. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. This is just kind of an introduction. God is a God of order. God is a God of order. God is a God of order. Now, the the church at Corinth was interesting. Very spiritual, at least they thought they were. The gifts of the Spirit flowed there in abundance. I mean, there was prophecy, there was messages in tongues, there were interpretation of tongues, there were miracles taking place, there were words of wisdom. I mean, they came together and Brother Doodad prophesied over Sister Whatchamacallit, and you know, there was just, you know, people were standing up and prophesying and speaking out. I've been in some of those services. You know, when I came here 22 years ago, and I've been in some of those services, and the Spirit of God moves. We're not, he moves. We need to be open for Him to move. But the first thing I felt peace about when I walked in here, there was order here. Because Pastor Sam was a man of order. And, 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 and this, this was just all kinds of disorder was going on. 
And so Paul has to write a letter to them. By the way, the letter starts out by saying, I wish I could say you were spiritual as you think you are, but you're just carnal. You're acting like mere men because you're envious, you're jealous, you're in strife, you're judging one another, you're angry at one another, you're looking down at one another. And he said, those are the things that matter to God more than anything else. You're spiritual on the outside, but your heart's off. And in God's order, we're going to learn your heart is more important than anything else. That's why Proverbs says, guard your heart with all diligence. All diligence. Your first priority is to guard your heart. For out of it flow all the issues of life. Everything God does in us flows out of our heart. Our faith flows out of our heart. Our love flows out of our heart. Everything that is of value in the kingdom of God flows out of the heart. And that's the one thing Satan wants to poison. So guard your heart. These are little previews. That's the most important thing for you to keep your attention on. Is my heart right? Every Sunday I pray before I get up here, usually at home. God, make sure my heart is right because I don't want anything in my heart that would hinder what you want to say because I may say your words, but if any of my heart's involved, it's not going to come across with you. It's going to come across with me. And I don't, that's wrong. We can't do that. So Lord, help me to guard my heart today because out of it, out of my heart are what the issues are going to flow. As they were off, they were envious and jealous when they came to celebrate the Lord's table the way we're going to do today, it was chaos. Paul has to talk to him about that. He says, don't you understand what you're doing? This is the Lord's table. This is the one thing He told us to do. This is sacred. This is honoring God's, Christ's body and honoring Christ's blood and the covenant that was shed for us. And, and he says, this is not literally His body, but it represents His body. And, and you're just, you, you know, some of you, it's, you're treating like a potluck dinner. Some of you who have a whole lot, you're over in your corner with your friends, you're eating your meal, and the people over here that don't have any food, and they're just sitting here, and you're not even conscious of them. And not only that, the bunch in the back over there, they're drunk. Nothing personal, it's not you. <laughs> At least I don't think so. They're drunk. Don't you understand what you're doing? He says, because of that, because your celebrating of the Lord's table is out of order, there are many of you that are sick. Ooh. But I thought Jesus bore our sicknesses and carried our diseases. But when you get out of order, you step... It's like, it's like on a rainy day, God hand, somebody hands you an umbrella and you walk around with it closed and you come home and your wife says, how come you're so wet? Well, this umbrella doesn't work. You've got to open it. But then you've got to stay underneath it. If you don't follow the instructions, even though there's an umbrella and protection been provided for you, you're going to get wet. And if we get outside of God's order and outside of God's ways, you know, it's not wet water you're going to run into because who is the God of this earth? Satan is the God of this earth. And the protection we have is in, first, in Colossians 1.13, says when we come to Christ, we've been transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of His beloved Son. That's our spirit man. But our body's still in this earth. And Satan is the God of this earth. We've now been given authority over Satan and over all the power of the enemy so that nothing shall in any way harm us. But that authority doesn't work if we're not under God's operation, under His order, under His ways. God is not a sugar daddy. He's not somebody, He's not some cosmic vending machine that you can say the right scriptures, put the scriptures in and pull out what you need and then go do whatever you want to do. It's the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God operates under some certain rules and principles. And when we step outside the kingdom of God, we step into the kingdom of Satan. We've got a next door neighbor that has two dogs. One of them's friendly, the other I don't want to run into. <laughs> and we have a fence between our yard and their yard. And in the summertime, I'll go out in the morning and read my Bible and do my devotions on our deck outside. And sometimes I come out the same time he comes out or he comes out the same. And he'll look over me because he stands on a table and looks at me. Go, <laughs> and I look at that fence. 
that fence is a protection for me from that dog. But if I decided to knock the fence down or I decided to climb over the fence and I get bitten by that dog, I can't blame my fence. I can't even blame the owner because I put myself in that dog's yard. And Paul says, because you've not discerned this correctly, and what he means by it, you don't have respect for what it is you're doing and it shows up in how you're acting. Because you don't treat this with respect, many of you are sick and there are some of you that have died because you stepped outside God's order. Not that God was angry at you. You stepped outside His protection and His order. And he comes over to chapter 12 where they talked about the gifts of the Spirit operating and he says... He tells them, reminds them what the gifts are and what they're for. He's getting things in order. He says, these gifts are not for you. They're not for your pleasure. They're not to show off how spiritual you are because that's what was going on undoubtedly. So you had a group over here that were prophesying over a group over here and a group over here that were, you know, uh, uh, speaking in tongues over here and each of them are thinking, well, <laughs> oh, I, I felt God correct me this morning because I read a... a, a uh, well, I, I read a devotion that just sends to me online and I realized I don't pay attention to that devotion because I have an attitude about the person that sent it to me. He just doesn't have quite the, some of the teaching that we have. And I felt the Spirit of God deal with me about that. And I, I caught it quite right away. I said, Lord, forgive me. This person's part of the body of Christ. And I can't ever be so proud. I think I know so much that I can look at somebody else and say, well, they're sure... They're, you know, it's one thing to judge somebody's teaching. That's okay. But I just... I, I, my heart was closed. So I'm saying, God, you can't use that person to speak to me. And I repented of that because I was separating the body of Christ. I was looking down at a brother because he may not have some of the experiences we've had with the Spirit and realizing I can't have that attitude. I've got to keep my heart... I keep my heart right. So Paul starts out by explaining, this is why they're here. They're, they're the gifts of the Spirit. They're not badges of your spirituality. And the only reason they're given to you is you're open to flow in them. But they're given so that the Spirit of God can glorify God and minister to the body. And then in chapter 13, he gets to the heart of it. He says, look, you can be operating in all the gifts of the Spirit, but if your motive's wrong, if you're not operating by love, you've missed the whole thing. It's not like you're doing pretty well. It counts as nothing. If your motive for whatever you do for God isn't motivated by love, you're, it counts nothing, even though it may sound wonderful, it may look impressive, you may have faith to move mountains. And then he goes into chapter 14 dealing specifically with tongues and the interpretation of tongues and prophecy. Because there was chaos going on. There was this group standing up, because in those days the women sat on one side of the church and the men sat on the other, and the women were standing up inter interrupting the church, the services, asking their husbands questions, and there was discussing going back and forth, and nobody could hear. There was confusion, which is why he says for women to be silent. That doesn't mean women should never speak in church. In that setting... They were, it was a disruption because they were trying to communicate back and forth with their husbands. That's most likely what was going on. But I want to focus on something here. Verse 33. For God is not the author of confusion. God is not the author of confusion. God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. So He's the author of peace. As in all the churches of the saints... A little aside here, if you're having trouble discerning who's leading you and you're confused, you know right away God's not involved in that. Because God does not bring confusion to you. He brings clarity. He brings peace. He brings truth. God is not the author of confusion. Satan brings in confusion because confusion paralyzes. When you're confused, you don't know what to do, so you stop driving down the road, there's a fork in the road, he says, ah, I don't know whether I take this one or this one. What do you do? You stop until you've figured it out. Until you know which way to go. God is not the author of confusion. Let's go down to verse 40. Let all things be done decently and in order. There's a verse back in 31, we don't, we're going to turn back there, but 
where in, in terms of this, because he's talking about this flowing of the Spirit, and, and he says the Spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. In other words, when somebody begins to flow in the Spirit, they don't get out of control. One of the signs it's not God is when they're out of control. I remember seeing this case when we were in Tulsa. We had a big church we were part of, and, and all kinds, sometimes some strange things would happen. And there was a dear sister got up, and she started prophesying and prophesying right in the middle of the sermon, right at the altar call. And she was convinced it was God, and she's going on and on and on. And the pastor just looked at me and says, The spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. Shut up and sit down. <laughs> in love. Because what was happening is that was interfering with the most important moment in the service was when the net was being put out, the invitation was being put out to receive someone to Christ. Did that mean that person had a demon in them? No, it could just be their flesh. That's what was going on back in then. So it needs to be in order. There needs to be decently. That doesn't mean they shouldn't flow because it says, don't despise it, but it should be in order. It should be in order because what he's talking about in this chapter is because when the tongues were being spoken out, people were speaking out messages in tongues and there was no interpretation. Wait a minute, we're in church. In church, it ought, everything ought to be for edification, for building up, for instruction, for, uh, for help, so that we all can profit by what's said. And if a bunch of people are just speaking out in tongues and there's no interpretation of it, then we're not, the purpose isn't being fulfilled. At home, go for it. Speak in tongues all you want. You're speaking mysteries to God. This is where there's a lot of confusion sometimes about tongues because what he's talking about in chapter 14 is in a church setting, in a service setting. And the standard here, is this going to be of benefit to other people? Is this going to be of edification? And so part of the principle here is there has to be order. Now here's the other side of that. Order can become a restriction. Order can become a restriction. And I was asking the Lord years ago for a way to teach this principle. And He gave me this great example from from my biology class. Maybe the only thing I ever remember from my biology class in 10th grade. That was not back in the primordial mist, by the way. That was... <clears throat> and, and, and I remember being taught that the basic classification of animals is vertebrate and invertebrate. I think that's right. At least there's a, that's a classification. Vertebrate... I'm going to get... Let me get this backwards. Well, in one of them, <laughs> the skeleton is on the outside. Lobsters, crabs, shrimp. And what does that structure do? It provides protection for them, but it's what allows them to move. If you take the shell off the lobster, it's not protected, and it really can't move. If you take the shell off of a crab, he's, got, he's, just, he's just flesh that flails around. But the higher type of, of, of animal is where the skeleton is on the inside, and that's hopefully what you and I belong to. And that's where the same purpose, the structure that allows you to move, is on the inside of you. And without that skeleton on the inside, you're what the scientists today believe you are, just a bunch of twitching wet meat. If, if you took your skeleton out of you, we're just going to puddle in the middle of your chair, and you may be able to think, but you can't do anything. You're just... What allows you to stand up, what allows you to walk, is those muscles, those tissues, those veins, those arteries are all hanging on something that's more solid, that's structure, which is your structure. And there's an order to that. The leg bone's connected to the thigh bone, the thigh bone's connected. And part of that vision of the valleys is with speaking of an Israel that had no order. There were dry bones scattered all over a desert, and that was a signal that Israel, in God's eyes, had no structure anymore. They were powerless, they were lifeless, and there was no order to them. And what's the first thing that happens when Ezekiel prophesies over those bones? This ankle bone comes from over here and finds the knee bone from over here that belongs to that same body. In other words, the very first thing the Spirit of God signifying He would do was to put them back in order. Because until they're in order, there's nothing to put the tissue on, the muscle on. There's nothing that can be done until things are, first of all, in order. Titus, I left you in Crete so that you may put things in order. I put things in order. 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 Now, the reason why the invertebrates, I think that's what we are, is our more higher life than the vertebrates 
is that what does a lobster have to do periodically? He has to get rid of that shell. Because that shell, if he doesn't get rid of it, is going to restrict him from growing. It's going to keep him from growing. And the same is true of order. Order is the, is the purpose of order is to allow the body to function in a healthy manner, in a meaningful manner. But if that order starts becoming an outward shell that restricts growth and restricts movement, then it's not performing its purpose. So I'm sharing that with you because order is not legalism. Legalism restricts. Legalism says there's a whole bunch of things to do and don't do, and when you get up, you do them, you don't do, and then God's going to be pleased because you did them or you didn't do them. And what that does is that restricts the love of God. Because when a church is legalistic, the love of God is not flowing because it's limited. Because we're judging one another, we're judging people by what they did and what they didn't do instead of allowing God's love to flow through us. You following me? We're going to see as we go along. But I want to share that with you because you can take this order and misapply it. God's order doesn't restrict. God's order sets free. God's order sets free. Now, I'm going to set up the next time with this. Order does not only mean everything in its right place, but it also refers to priorities, putting first things first. In every area of our life, that's first things first in time, first things first in importance. These are prior- there are priorities that God has set for us because His kingdom functions on these priorities. And when we begin to build our life, and we don't build it on His priorities, then our life is out of order. Or you may have built your life on His priorities, but through the process of living, they get bumped out of order, because our attention gets on things that are not vital, and draws us away from things that are vital. And that's Satan's number one tool, is to get our priorities out of alignment because when our priorities are out of alignment then we're out of alignment and that's what we're going to begin to look at because when things are in order then the life of God the blessings of God and the power of God flows in our life when things are out of order not only does it not flow but we become exposed to the God of this earth I'll close with this example our, I started to share it before. Our children that had been in, with us from out of town have all gone back home. So yesterday we began to clean things up and pick things up. And there's a mat we have in our kitchen, in front of the, front of the kitchen sink. And this mat uh, had just gotten dirty with people standing on it, and it was washable. So I said, all right, I'll, I'll wash it. So I went down and put it in the washing machine. And I put whatever you got to put in it, and I turned it on and went away, and the thing started going around. And I'm upstairs somewhere, and my wife said, whoa, wait a minute something's wrong, you need to get downstairs, or, you know, it's, and I went downstairs, and the washing machine was about to walk across the room, <laughs> because all I put in there was one rug, and it was wet, and it went into the spin cycle, and because it was out of balance, the whole thing starts shaking like this, now, Maytag, or whoever made it, understands that there are people like me, that might put things in there that get out of balance. So they have a safety mechanism in. And about the time I got down, and things were like this, all of a sudden I went up and it just stopped. Because it is a safety mechanism, when it gets enough out of balance and it vibrates enough, it turns off. We don't have a safety mechanism. Things can get out of order and you don't realize out of order until you realize suddenly the washing machines walked halfway across the room. If the plug would allow it to do that. So we're going to begin to look at, over the next few weeks, have a chance to look at our lives and see just maybe, just maybe, the reason why things aren't working right is just maybe something's out of order. And the wonderful thing is, when you find out what's out of order, all you've got to do is make that adjustment. It doesn't take long. It's an adjustment in your heart, and when it gets back in order, the peace will be there and the life and the blessings of God will begin to flow. Let's pray. Father, as we begin this journey together, you know as you look in each one of our lives right now this morning what's in order and what's not in order. We're asking you this morning to open the eyes of our understanding that through your eyes of love and grace we might see what is not in the right order in our lives 
And through the power of the Holy Spirit, give us the strength and grace to make those corrections. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name.